This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. What's the focus on BFM 89.9, The Business Station? 9.36, Friday the 13th of January, and of course you're listening to The Morning Run. Now at this time of the day, on a Friday, we have WTF, or What's the Focus, which is our weekly roundup show of all the top stories this week, and other news tidbits that you may have missed. So I think I want to start with the United States, and the number that I want to refer to is 15, because that's how many rounds it took. For finally U.S. Republican Kevin McCarthy to achieve his long-held ambition of becoming House Speaker. And let me tell you, 15 rounds is no joke. There haven't been so many rounds of voting since the Civil War. I mean, just to give some context why the House Speaker is such an important role in the U.S. government, um, it's a third in line, right, uh, to become the president uh, in case the U.S. president or the vice president is incapacitated. And, you know, both president and vice president are Democrats. Uh, in the House midterm elections, the Rep- Republicans took over. They were hoping for a red wave. Unfortunately, they did get the majority, but it was a very slim majority as a result. Uh, trying to unite this very divisive caucus or conference, they call it, within the Republican committee has resulted in this number of humiliating rounds for Kevin McCarthy. Yeah, I think the other consequence of all this is that until a speaker is elected, the House actually cannot do any work, okay? Yeah. It's like really siaranta gandala, okay? Because they can conduct no other business, there will be no rules governing the day-to-day operations of this 434 House lawmakers and all the staff that come with it. So there were even question marks about whether, you know, will salaries be paid? Do people come to work on Monday? What's happening? I mean, the moral moral of the story is if you don't succeed, try and try and try again. <laughs> but it was must have very, very well embarrassing, put. right? I mean, he became the first party leader in a century to falter in the first ballot and then went on to lose more and more and more rounds of voting. But it does show how divided US and perhaps even the Republicans are. And I guess the million-dollar question now is whether they will still back Donald Trump as the presidential nominee moving into 2024. I think the other moral, um, the other takeaway is that sometimes having very thick skin pace, right? Because yes. I think most lawmakers, if you've lost like maybe one round, two rounds, three rounds, you, you might give up. You give up. But mm. 15 rounds really shows a lot about his character and his determination to win. Because along the way, he's actually really given up a lot of concessions. And whether these concessions will come back to haunt him, I think is the question. One of which is, you just only need one one lawmaker to say, I don't want you to be the Speaker of the House. And then... It goes back to another round of uh, another round of voting. Well, that's the issue here. When you think about these um, situations, when you have a very narrow majority, do you view it as a compromise, or are you going to be held hostage by the extreme factions of your party? That's always the problem, right? Even in any government we have, and let's not talk about government here. When you have very slim majorities, the debate is: Do you position it as look? We need to get everybody together. We dilute and compromise really the intention, or what happens then? You know, it's like do you 
will you be held hostage by the extreme factions of the party, which actually could be very damaging in the midterm, long term? Yeah, I mean, the article really said that you know, the final vote was preceded by dramatic moments on the House floor as the Republican dispute escalated to shouting and physical confrontations. And after McCarthy was blocked on the 14th ballot, a stunning and humiliating defeat, he walked back to, to the House of Chambers and confronted Florida's Matt Gates, one of his most uh, uh, renowned critics. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, he really made it happen for himself. Well, do you know, I also heard in a podcast that one of the lawmakers, because McCarthy actually moved into the speaker's uh, office already and somebody said, I'm sorry, but you're not officially confirmed. Mm. You have to move out. So it got so personal, right? Uh, but this, what does this then mean for American politics? What does it mean for the 2024 presidential elections, right? Mm. And also... With a house so divided, even within the Republican camp, what does it mean for lawmaking, for policy decision? Because we know one of the biggest issues is the federal debt ceiling that is coming up, right? Do Are they going to renew it or up it? And what about all the spending programs that Biden wants to carry out? Are they all going to be, you know, frustrated at this house? It can't move forward? Yeah, so I think, I mean, the legislative agenda will, of course, be shaped very much by this. Already we're getting a sense of what McCarthy's uh, leadership will translate to on the Republican side. I'm very keen to know how this will embolden Trump in his 2024 run, because he had publicly said to McCarthy that he would support McCarthy, but many of his supporters actually were not in mm. favour of McCarthy, and actually one of them even recommended Trump to be the Speaker of the House. Yeah, apparently, you know what, I learned something, anyone can be a Speaker of the House. Yes. You don't even need to be an existing lawmaker. Uh, but let's move on to another shocking story that happened actually over the weekend, last weekend, and that was uh, Brazil, in Brasilia, the capital, we saw pictures of many protesters taking over key government buildings. Now, those protests have ended, but what's happening now is that the Brazilian authorities have issued arrest warrant for two government security officials. They've zeroed in on people suspected of funding this week's violent protests and even have asked now federal court to freeze the assets of the far-right former president, Jair Bolsonaro, who is apparently still in Florida. So again, the, the, the distinction between what happened here versus the insurrection that took place in the US Capitol uh, two years is very stark. Yeah. There's so many things to compare about. But one very clear distinction here, I think, unfortunately, is that the non-political branches of government here became political and was accused of aiding and abetting, I think, uh, Jair Bolsonaro's camp mm. to basically storm many of these administrative capitals. So I think the investigations are being done and it doesn't bode well, I think, for public servants and public service when they start playing politics. Yeah, I've read some articles where political analysts have already warned for months that a similar storming which what happened in the US was pos a possibility in the Brazil given that Bolsonaro has always shown doubt about the reliability mm. of the nation, nation's electric voting system without giving any concrete evidence that it was Ooh, false. They call him the tropical Trump. There's, yeah, there's a sense of deja vu, right? I mean, yes. they kind of even look a little bit similar. They've got that tan thing going on. Uh, <laughs> Trump a hair rail? Yeah. It's a toupee rail? I, I, well, we know Trump likes McDonald's while Bolsonaro likes KFC. Uh, but anyway, we did have a discussion on this with Claire Ferreira Marquez, columnist at Bloomberg Opinion. And uh, you can catch that podcast on our app or, of course, on our website. It's entitled Riots in Brazil Point to a Very Polarised Country because at the end of the day, it is a polarised country. And how is President Lula going to bring the two factions together? Now, let's turn our attention to... I think Philip wants to talk about this story. And that is this autobiography called The Spy. 
Bear. It is UK's fastest selling non fiction book. 400,000 books were sold on its first day, but apparently you can get it at half price at some bookstores. I mean, the fact that it's being sold at half price perhaps shows how unpopular Do the book is. Do we need to tell is. people what this spare is all about? Okay, firstly. first, fine, fine. Spare is respect to Prince Harry's autobiography and spare is in reference to him being considered a spare to the heir apparent of Prince William, his older brother. And of course, Prince William is now, of course, in line to succeed Prince Charles, but Prince King, Harry... King, King, King Charles, sorry, apologies. But Prince Harry, I think as you know, in the past one, two years, if you're if you're not, you're living in probably under a shell. He's probably left and moved over to the United States with his wife, Meghan Markle. Ex-actress. And I, ex-actress and they've ex-communicated. A lot of brouhaha, all not happy with each other. A lot of acquisitions thrown. And leading up to the launch of this autobiography, so many salacious rumours about him killing a couple of Afghanistan Taliban soldiers, him basically having a physical altercation with Prince William so and his brother and all that. So I think... I, I think it's very interesting that, you know, he came out all guns blazing with this book, essentially trying to paint his side of the story. But I don't know, I'm not sure whether it is painting the right side for him. Well, he's been on a circuit, media circuit. He's been on some talk shows. I think he's continuing to do so. You know what? Apparently, uh, if you look at the UK press... They've just been covering this story for days. I mean, this is probably like the gift that keeps yeah. on giving, right? But what does it mean for the future of monarchy in the US and uh, UK? And are we going to see increasingly more of these salacious tell-all stories? My, I, I mean, it's sad that, you know, you, you're bringing the family into the picture. I mean, we all have conflicts within our family, but do you have Who to... hasn't shouted at their sibling? Put it's... up your hand here. Yes, I have. I Plenty have. Haven't you, Jensen? Have you thrown things? Yes, I have. I, I don't have, have a recollection. Okay, I, no have selective, I have selective <laughs> memory. I have Maybe not I thrown. got hit too hard as a child. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so which family doesn't fight? Of yeah. course, there are some families where it's very acrimonious. But do you want to air All that? this dirty linen in public. I, I really have... It's maybe unfair, but you are the royal family, which is so well known for keeping a very tight lip on what happens behind the scenes, right? By the way, for those who believe that the crown is real, it's not. It's not. If you love the show, I'm sorry, but that's just fiction. Although some people have confused it with non-fiction. But nonetheless, I think um, they'll be continuing a lot of headlines, I think, coming out of this. Uh, but we're heading into some messages. When we come back, we'll look at the politics that's happening in Malaysia. Keep it here, BFM 89.9. Nine forty-seven, Friday the thirteenth of January, and of course you're listening to the morning run. You're also listening to WTF, which is what's the focus? Our weekly recap show, and this time we are staying in Malaysia because there's a lots to talk about. Let's and a lot of it is uh, related to politics, which we did really talk about earlier this morning. So it's all about the UMNO General Assembly. Philip, I can see you flicking the papers already. Do you want to start? I mean, I'm just having the New Straits Times open. Really, like the top five, six pages is all dominated by the UMNO General Assembly. Uh, front page is a hilarious picture, I think, of Zayed Hamidi shaking hands with Kari Jamaluddin. Kari Jamaluddin looking rather smug. Uh, I think did you all see his Instagram post? I did see his Instagram post. I did post. too. Yes, I think basically there was so much, I think the central debate about this UMNO General Assembly is whether there will be a contest for the top post. That's the essential question here. And of course, you know, the, the likes of Kyrie Jamaluddin are saying, look, we need a contest. We need to have democracy in this party. But many are saying, look, uh, uh, the president is the center of gravity. We need to stabilize the party following a bruising defeat in the last general election. 
Yeah, what are your takeaways from this, Jensen? Uh, my takeaways, I really, um, for me, Kyrie really, really has nothing to lose now. I guess he's being a lot more vocal. He's no longer an MP. He can really put himself out there. But we had this conversation with uh, Azmi just yesterday, and his view is that there is really no legitimate challenger for the top post out there. So this may all turn out to be just noise, I think, at best. I mean, in the approval surveys prior to GE15, Zahid was often seen as the most, the least popular PM candidate. But, I mean, post-G, he's seen as a saviour to some people now. And I guess the pact with PH, uh, which allowed AMNO to stay relevant, it's uh, despite the decimation of what, 26, 27 seats in Yeah, the G. worst showing ever for them, 26 yeah, seats. So it does give them another lease of life as well. Mm. And uh, the Asmi that we referenced is uh, Dr. Asmi Hassan from the Nusantara Academy, where he gave us you know, a roundup what to expect from the AMNO General Assembly. You can, of course, catch that on our BFM app or on our website. But you're right, Jensen. He basically said, who is there? that's really going to go after Zahid that has a chance to win. So, so you can put your hat in the ring. Yeah. But will you win? Will you make inroads? And the question is, who do you need to win? And the challenge with Amno's, I think, structure is you have the Supreme Council with the elected leaders. Then you have the division chiefs, which seem to be, you know, overwhelmingly supporting Zaid Hamidi. You get the sense from delegates that there's a mixed bag about some wanting to open contests in there, and then the broader members. So there are many stratas within Amno that have very differing views about how they think the future of the party should be charted forward. The question, though, in reality is that, hey, you know, this was an unprecedented loss for AMNO, that they're only in power on the back of a coalition politics. I guess the question is, what's soul-searching? What is mm. necessary to turn around uh, the party? And the question then is, is this current leadership the right leadership to turn around the party? Because we want a strong party, political system and party, regardless, right, of yes. anyone. We cannot assume people's weaknesses across the board. So I think that's one of the things that I'm asking myself. Is new leadership needed to turn around the party? Because well, reform is core. Yeah, and I think some leaders have really put up their hands and said that I'm resigning, right? I didn't do what I was supposed to do. I didn't achieve my KPIs. And one of them is Ashraf Wadi. He was uh, Amno Youth Chief. He confirmed that he will no longer be defending his post in the upcoming party polls. He said that he did this. Um, he resigned because he wants to accept responsibility. Was excuse me, responsibility, following the severe defeat suffered by Amno and BN, especially and this is the important part because he's youth chief, especially the youth wing in the 15 general elections. So good, yes. If you don't deliver, mm. you should resign. So the youth wing is a valid point because you know this this whole GE15 was all about the new Undi 18, the new. Electoral voter registration. And so it's very easy to pinpoint that they failed to capture the youth vote. So it's very easy to connect that. The question is from a broader standpoint whether that can be replicated at the broader macro level for AMNO. Yeah, I think what, what he has done, the AMNO youth chief, Dato Ashraf, if what he says is true in, in terms of his uh, reason for resigning, it's definitely something positive, something very noble. It's something definitely that most politicians and not only that most corporate leaders in Malaysia should really emulate. Resign? Apa tu? <laughs> doesn't happen very often, does it? Even yeah, Malaysia Well, I think in. the Malaysia people don't get forced resignation. They kind of told and then I retire or I, I tender my resignation myself, you know, uh, and kind of say I have another gig to do rather than say under out of underperformance, we're kicking you out of it. You're not, you're rarely fired from my observations. But you know what? You don't Malaysia. even need to be fired, honestly. You should just resign, right? 
I that's, mean, that requires some self-awareness. Oh, wow. Okay, might be a bit hard to find actually sometimes. Uh, but other news that stay on politics, I think this is interesting because Dato Sri Ahmad Zahid Hamidi has supposedly give, forgiven the 10 coalition MPs who supported Perikatan National's chairman Tan Sri Muhyiddin Yassin's bid to be Prime Minister after the 15 general elections. I don't know the names. Uh, but what's been reported is that six are AMNO MPs, two are by MCA, one each by MIC <laughs> and PBRS. So go guess, people. Go guess. <laughs> go and guess. By all means. Oh my goodness. This is the like the best game, right? You pretty I, much can. It's the easiest game to play, I think, in town at the moment. Well, the odds are in your favour. Go for it. Yes. But the question is, is it... I mean, some old question, right? What is that to forgive in the sense, right? It's what you play in politics. You make your choices why it is. So I guess then the debate is comes back to the party, right? How centred is the party to the presidency? Yeah. How intr- How intrinsically linked is it to it? Yeah, then the what, yeah, but then also, what do you do with these 10, right? What do you do? Yeah, forgive then what? Forget? Do you forget? The, uh, That's the question. Even within a family, you never forget. And you certainly don't forgive. We just look at Prince, Prince Harry's book. What more on politics? You just end up being a spare. <laughs> I, I think that Zahid is really turning out to be a real good strategist. I mean, it's an excellent plan to name and shame and then to forgive and forget. I mean, politics is so fluid. And it changes by the day. So with this exposure of the 10 MPs, they may have a change of heart and return back to the party and ask for forgiveness. And that is his... his, his uh, Stronghold in Amno just gets better. It could turn out that way. <laughs> could, could, could. But I'm sure you'll be keeping your eye very, very close on those 10, right? Of course. You would Close probably have same. put them in some cold storage Ooh, to say the very least, or right? Or you keep your enemies closer. Maybe, maybe, maybe. But we'll report on whatever happens at the Amno General Assembly over the weekend when we come back on Monday. Uh, we start at 7 a.m. You can listen to us. I'm sure we'll be covering all the latest stories then. But I want to talk about a very hardworking institution. You know who's that very hardworking institution? BFM. Yes, that's true. <laughs> we are very hardworking. That's, that's a given. But no, 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 no. Someone who I think maybe even more hardworking than us in the last few weeks is the M-A-C-C. Guys, have you all noticed how many uh, investigations, arrests have been going on in just this week? I saw a smattering, but you know, now you're, you're thinking about it, collecting all of it together. It is quite a large number, I have to say. Yes. So I just collected like maybe four headlines that I noticed over the uh, in this week alone. And M-A-C-C, of course, which is our Malaysian Anti-Corruption Commission, have been busy bees. And maybe this is on the back of our Prime Minister saying that MACC, Attorney General's Chambers and the like were free to use their powers vested in them to fight corruption at all levels. He has promised our Prime Minister that there will be no interference whatsoever. His words, I have given MACC complete flexibility and authority that many cases are slowly being enforced. I'm just Exposed, intrigued. I'm just intrigued whether we're going to see a floodgate of all these things come through following this new administration basically saying, look, I'm not going to get involved. You do what you need to do. So are we going to see politically linked uh, corruption scandals take place because of this floodgate, essentially, when you're saying now you're not going to interfere? Yeah, what's likely troubling for me is that the cases which MACC are looking at and bringing up now 
uh, perhaps uh, small fishes in the whole scheme of things. And I hazard to think the amount of leakages over the last 10, 20, 30 years, which Malaysia Inc. has experienced and really led to perhaps our depreciation of our ringgit for one thing. Well, Sikit Sikit Lama Jadi Bukit, you have a very good point. If we talk about these specific cases, yeah, you know, 3 to 5 percent, 20 million and all that. But MACC did issue a statement that the investigations were focused on a government fund amounting to 92.5 billion ringgit. So yeah. that one. That one. <laughs> that is the one you guys have to pay attention to because that's all about the pandemic stimulus, okay? Yes. And who's involved in the pandemic stimulus? Jing, jing, jing. I think some members of cabinet are involved, but regardless of that, I think it's very, but you still have to attract, you still have to address all investigations, whether big or small. Yeah, all of them. And, uh, you know, basically be completely impartial about it. Let these institutions be independent to carry out their own investigations and then charge them and then go to another independent uh, institution, which is the judiciary, to come up with their outcome. I think that's really what democracy is all about. Uh, But very quickly, if you're bored over the weekend and you want to sound clever and you want to read something interesting, I recommend two op-eds. One is by Bridget Welsh. Uh, She gives you an understanding of why Amno did so badly at GE15, you can find her article in Malaysia Kini. And another one by our ex-MP of Bangi, On Ken Ming, also found on the same website, Malaysia Kini. And it's about the brain drain, how we can stop it. And it's entitled, Empower Talent Corp, Not Shut It Down. Excellent reads to make sure that you can combat the aunties asking you all sorts of weird questions during Chinese New Year reunion dinner. Yes, and so you can sound smart. That is all from the morning run on WTF. Coming up next is the 10 a.m. news bulletin, and then it's over to Enterprise BFM 89.9. What's the focus on BFM 89.9, The Business Station? You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.